Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. In June of 2009 in Ithaca, New York, State Park Officer Gerald Lewis was on a routine patrol it was a beautiful summer night, and Lewis was checking the parking lots to the many trails in Taganic State Falls. Lewis noticed a lone car parked in a lot that was closed. He must have thought it was teenagers making out. As the officer neared the car, his flashlight reflected in the haunted eyes of a young man in the driver's seat, dressed in a bathrobe and drenched in blood. What had happened to Boisje Cotte? a 24-year-old postdoctoral student at Cornell, and how had Cott's seemingly idyllic life unraveled so quickly. Boise Cott was born in the mid-90s in Zaire to Polish parents. The Cots then moved to New Zealand. As Polish expats, they must have been excited when their son, who was very bright, got into Cornell. Boise studied information science, but after disappointing news on his thesis, Cott dropped out of Cornell and started working at Predictive Systems, a tech startup founded by his friend, Peter Brodsky. While working at Predictive, Cott met Carolyn Coffey. Carolyn Coffey was born in 1980 in Dublin, Ireland. As a child, her family moved to Pennsylvania, where Coffey excelled academically, first at Scranton Prep and then at University of Scranton. She was also an accomplished equestrian, she was fiercely proud of her Irish heritage and named her favorite horse Irish Mist. With red hair, blue eyes, and freckles, she was a classically Irish beauty. Just want to say that there was there's a great photo of her with another girl, and they're, they're probably teenagers, and they've squeezed themselves into this like giant pair of man's pants, and one is in one leg and the other is in the other, and they're just you get this just the sense of humor and kind of mischief coming through. It's a great photo and we'll, uh, we'll post it. Carolyn got into Cornell and this Ivy League achievement was just another mark that her star was rising. She was on her way to becoming Dr. Carolyn Coffey. So when Carolyn and Boisje met, they had a pretty fast real courtship. They met in 2007, like I said, at Predictive and they moved in together. And Boisje is known to have talked to at least one friend to say, I think this is going a little quickly. Coffee is four years his senior. I think he was 22 or 23 at this time. And meanwhile, Cot is still working at Predictive. But in 2008, the cracks kind of begin to show. Cot is drinking a lot. He's not performing well. And he gets fired from Predictive and decides... I'm never going to talk to Peter Brodsky again, and he decides to go back to school. Coffey at this time was working as a postdoctoral researcher in biomedical engineering at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Cornell. 
which is really interesting. Laura and I are just going to take a minute and talk about how cool Cornell really is. So Laura, you found some pretty interesting things about Cornell that I hadn't realized. Yeah, Cornell's a pretty progressive school from the start, Sarah, which I didn't realize. It was founded in 1865 by Ezra Cornell, and it was actually founded as co-educational and non-sectarian, which is pretty unusual at the time. And it was a non-restrictive school, which was also very progressive. So it didn't matter what religion you were, what race you were, or what sex you were. It's incredible for, for that time. Right. I mean, many of our listeners, we've talked, have heard us talk about the sister schools. And the sister schools came out of the fact that women weren't, weren't allowed to be in, in the Ivies. So the sister schools, that's in Cornell was, you know, allowed women from the very beginning. Another interesting thing about Cornell is... It's part of the Sunni system, a small percentage, a small portion of it is. So what, is, what does that mean to us? I know, I'm non-New Yorkers. It, it, the Sunni system is the state of New York in-state college, like we have UMass here in Massachusetts, or every state has so their... So you get a benefit from being a New Yorker going to Cornell. Right, it, yes. It's very unusual. It's like if you could apply to Harvard, and Harvard had a of school just for uh, Massachusetts students. God, I wish. I know. It's an unusual thing, but they, Cornell has an agriculture school. And so a lot of far, in the farming community, it really benefits the community. Cornell, as well as many of the Ivies and many as schools, as we see here in Boston, has large, large portion of international students, which the universities love. Because international students are not eligible for any financial aid, Sarah, as you know. So universities love this. They get a full pop on every cent of that tuition. And that would have been the case in in, in Boisier Cotts' case. Oh, yeah. So if you're coming over as an international student, you're definitely coming from some means. Yeah. And that would have been the case there. So after Cott got fired from Predictive, he'd actually decided to go back to school. And we're talking about is that a lot of times people who are foreign students actually have to pay full freight when they go to the Ivy Leagues. That's why a lot of Ivy Leagues court foreign students because foreign students have to have to pay the full freight. So in October of 2008, Carolyn and Boisier married in a small civil ceremony in Ithaca, New York. So this was just really the sort of nuptial appetizer because a real wedding was a destination wedding in Costa Rica on May 2nd of 2009. So after the big destination wedding where all their friends of Cornell, they're a nice looking couple. You can see the pictures. They're very, it looks idyllic. But the couple moved back to Ithaca after and to settle into married life. And meanwhile, Cot is, you know, has gone back to Cornell. He is fully entrenched in becoming a student again at, at, at Cornell. One month to the day, the honeymoon would be violently and tragically over. June 2nd is the day in question and seems to have two parallel realities going on for Colt. On the surface, it seemed like a great day. The smiling tropical wedding photos had just been delivered, and Cot received the news that his project at Cornell had received additional funding. As they often did, Carolyn and Boisier went out for an evening jog in nearby trails. I'm going to read from a court transcript as to what happened next, because it's bananas. This is from the court transcripts. On the trail, 
Cott recalled letting Coffee take the lead while jogging. When he ran past a pipe he had previously seen on the trail, he picked it up and sprinted to his wife. He then struck her in the head with the pipe. After Coffee fell to the ground, Cott struck her again. Cott proceeded to slash Coffee's neck with a box cutter he had brought with him. Cott left Coffee on the trail and ran home. Once home, Cott saw his clothes were covered in blood and attempted to burn them. He doused his clothes with paint thinner and placed them in the fireplace. When he saw that his face and hands were covered in Coffee's blood, Cott decided he was going to kill himself. Cott left the box cutter at home and drove to a park. Once there, Cott lost his nerve to jump off a bridge and returned home to get a sharper knife to kill himself. Cott then returned to the park. And this is when Officer Lewis tapped on Cott's car window at the very beginning and sees that he's covered in blood. Cott sat upright and then flees, leading the police on a five-mile car chase going 90 miles an hour, which ends in Cott slamming into a tree. The police catch up with him, and he has inflicted deep cuts in his neck. You can actually see the pit, some of the pictures. He's taken to the hospital to be treated. Meanwhile, there's a fire in the in the couple's apartment. So it's a very busy night for the Ithaca responders. They're responding to the fire in the apartment, to, to this car chase with Cot. Um, he's pretty injured. He goes to the hospital. And when he wakes up in the hospital, he asks about the condition of his wife. Whether that's BS or not is up for debate. At 9 a.m., the next morning, a biker and a jogger discovered Carolyn's body on the trail. Naturally, Cot is arrested for her murder, leaving people wondering what happened to this perfect couple. Cot hires famous Ithaca defense attorney Joe Yock, and meanwhile, investigators find that Clean Bright was used as an accelerant and determined arson. So Cot set the fires to destroy evidence. They find the bloody box cutter and sneakers that both test positive for Coffee's blood. And they also discovered that Cot has searched the terms how to kill Neck on the computer and has attempted to clear the, the search history. Remember, he also had brought the box cutter on the jog the night of the murder. There's not a lot that Joe Yock can work with here. He doesn't try to deny that his client killed Coffee. The evidence is just too overwhelming. Instead, he hires Dr. Rory Holtland, who is a forensic psychologist. I mean, you really, he doesn't have a lot to work with here. It's a very tough case for a defense attorney. So with Cott, there are reports from his childhood that he would check electrical outlets, believing that someone was listening. You know, could it be that he had some sort of paranoid schizophrenia? There are anecdotes from his childhood that, that would back this up. Then Dr. Holtland, during the trial, which was in April of 2010, Dr. Holtland made the extraordinary claim that Cott suffered from Capris disorder. So Capris is, it's, think of like changelings. Capris is a psychiatric disorder where someone is convinced that someone they love has been replaced by someone else. It's as if you thought pods had taken over and invasion of the body snatchers had taken place. Cott had to take the anti-malarial drug 
chloroquine prior to his wedding in Costa Rica, did Cott, like the defense was trying to argue, think that Carolyn was replaced by someone else? Actually, curiously, Capra's delusions have been described in cases of patients treated with anti-malarial medications such as chloroquine. It's a stretch, and they tried, uh, and they tried to tie it to Cott's previous paranoid behavior, but it didn't really There was too much evidence that there was premeditation. And the trial was essentially a battle of the psychologists with Judge John Rowley presiding. Dr. Howitz was on the side of the prosecution, and he pointed out the many elements of premeditation, taking the box cutter, the internet searches about how to kill, the fact that those were erased. So in the end... April 20th of 2010, a jury convicted Cott of three felony charges, second-degree murder, third-degree arson, and tampering with physical evidence. So Judge Rowley sentenced Cott to the maximum, which was 25 years to life. What is left for me here, Laura, is a big question mark. Why? Laura and I are going to discuss right now, uh, this reminds me a lot of the Walsh case, which we've covered on this podcast. She disagrees. So time for us to get salty. Yeah. And and Laura and I had a little bit of a dust up about whether this case (laughs) reminded us of the, of the Walsh, of the, uh, of the Walsh case. Our daily dust up. Our daily, (laughs) daily that was, I think, our third dust-up yeah, for that day, you know? Which I would argue that, that things, I think what reminded me about the Walsh case of uh, in, the, in the Cott case was that he, you know, he does these internet searches. He also, it seemed like to me that Boisier Cott was kind of failing in life. He was drinking a lot. He was kind of ping-ponging between college and also working at his friend's company and that kind of pancaked. He's not doing great things, whereas I think Carolyn Coffey's star rising. And that just, that really reminded me of, of Brian and Anna Walsh. But, you know, I, but then you could argue. I think there's interesting parallels there. I think the Walsh case, it's so much more, you have so much more clarity into, you know, he was getting ready to go to be sent to go to jail. And there was a lot more clarity into the situation. I think the Cott case, it's very uh, unclear. It's kind of mysterious that he just kind of lost it and snapped. And I can see why he would go towards an, I mean, I guess you could say anybody who would commit a crime like this would be insane, but doesn't make a ton of sense. However, the search does show some premeditation. I kind of see him like a family annihilator with no family. He didn't want her, her to see his failure. And I see him as a person who succeeded top and was the best of the best his entire life. And he had no coping mechanisms when he started to fail. This case is very baffling to me. Okay, apparently the day, it, it, what, what's complicated about this case is like that day, okay, they get these pictures back from Facebook of their like glorious international destination wedding in Costa Rica. He's just received funding at Cornell. He's gone over to a friend's house to like lift weights and and chit chat and I probably have a couple of beers or whatever. It's a perfectly normal day. I, I mean, this is this is how what 
happened between when he's you know hanging with his friend and and the the this disaster that he creates well i think you know his startup and he had had some other things that were had been failures and i think you know we deal with people here and ivy league murders who have never failed their entire lives they've been had their first in their class valedictorian top of the never had a failure and i think for many of us who've had many failures we learn to cope and we learn to be resilient and we learn to bounce back and I don't think he ever learned that. He just didn't develop coping skills. And when he has started to have these failures, they were literally crushing to him, devastating. And he started to look for a way out. Yeah, but I think, but why kill her? Why not just, hey guys, you know, he, he, me, here's the thing. I feel like there's a real Scott Peterson element to to this crime of like, that. Yeah, I call it like the reluctant new husband syndrome. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, you know, oh my God, I don't want to be here. And, and instead of just copping to it, sorry guys, you know, sorry you paid for this destination wedding and I made a mistake, it's why killing the spouse, and I think you're right about the family annihilator, it's almost like you know and and I it, it, look the, he did try to take his own life that that night you know that would have been that's a real sort of family annihilator kind of yeah, move that's as what well yeah gets it for me is I just feel like he didn't have it you know because he, we're looking at it saying yeah well why didn't you do this why didn't you do that because we're we we see solutions we see a way out but he didn't you know because he had never had those type of failures so when it happened to him it was just he just saw the end he saw doom and gloom and maybe he just he didn't want her to see his failures yeah so he killed her but i think that's where the parallel with walsh comes in to me like clearly like i think anna walsh was going to leave him going to going to leave brian walsh he was gonna go to federal prison she would get the kids she would move to washington she would you know so i think i mean that's a more see, extreme I don't think walsh planned it i think he just exploded and killed her and i think he was just okay but what about caught what about Boise caught Con, I think, I, I do. I think he just was in a deep, deep depression. I think he, I do. I see him just like any, like a family and I, I think he saw no other way out. I think it's irrational and horrible. And, and he killed her and then tried to kill himself because he just saw, he saw himself going downhill. He saw the failure. He wasn't what he thought he should be. And he just didn't want her to see his downfall. So he killed her. And then he tried to kill himself. And it was a pretty serious attempt. We can post the pictures, but I mean, he literally went after his neck, like, with the knife. I mean, it's horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, we obviously will post, we'll, we, we'd love to get some feedback from our listeners. Yeah, I mean, about it's, it's interesting. It's mysterious. We don't really know. We're just speculating. And I guess that's what we do here because we, we obviously don't know. It's kind of, it, it is kind of a case that you, you're left wondering why. But I mean, he's doing 25 years uh, to life now, you know, yeah, and maybe, uh, yeah, maybe, you know. maybe someday we'll, we'll get more information or he'll speak out as all we can hope. Thanks again Thank for listening. You. Murder, murder.